So I uh, just let you know what I'm going to do today. Um, it was our five days of prayer, and as a result of our five days of prayer, um, it, it, it kind of crams my week a little, um, makes it more intense in regards to time-wise. Um, so I um, didn't uh, do that well getting prepared for my discipleship class. So I thought, you know what, you guys ask questions all the time. And how about if we'll just let you guys just ask questions. And, and so I, I came to the conclusion that I would do that. And, and uh, that was fr uh, Friday afternoon. And then somebody texted me and says, you know, um, I have a lot of questions. And I said, oh, you do? He goes, yeah, can I send them your way? And uh, so he sent me a whole bunch of questions. And Ryan, thank you so much for sending me these questions. Your questions are going to be the sheet. Sorry to throw you under the bus, but I just want to tell you where we're going to go. It's going to be the sheet here to get us started for even more questions. So we do have a microphone uh, that will be sent around, but I just thought we would answer these questions, and we, we'll kind of do them um, not fast, but uh, we have a lot of questions here, but then also we could just do questions um, otherwise. And, and I just want to say when it comes to questions, you know, there's a lot of answers um, that, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, you know, help me. I need to go. I need to figure out the answer when I, you know, get off the pulpit and try to get to my desk or in my computer and those kind of things. And, and uh, so that process. And, and I would say that uh, there was a couple questions that were asked last week that, that were even really cool in regards to um, um, they got them. Um, I'd say Ryan gave me the answer to some of them that, uh, that I wasn't very clear on. So I'm going to give you those answers specifically as we even further go down. So, but here's a, a couple questions, and I also feel free to raise your hand any time because I'll answer the question, so I think, but maybe I didn't answer the question um, thick enough or enough, or maybe I, you know, I went around a different thing. And, and also, I'll just tell you that I struggle up here sometimes thinking, I hope this is the answer that we're looking for. In other words, hopefully this is what we're talking about because when a question does come out, sometimes these words can go a lot of different perspective. And uh, the first question is, why is Revelation the only book that comes with a blessing? And, um, and that's a question I just looked at it and pondered over, and, and um, it comes with multiple blessings. You know, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. In fact, I think there's, what is there, 12 blessings that even take place throughout the Revelation, the, the big sparks of, of blessing. But in my mind, when I read the question, I was thinking, I don't, it's, I don't think it's the only book that comes with blessings. Um, I would uh, look at uh, Matthew um, and uh, look at the Beatitudes, you know, in five, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's, you should be the kingdom of heaven, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the meek, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of blessings that are taking place in regards to those, those, piece, those pieces, and also Luke, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are hungry, um, you know, so there's a lot of blessings that are consistently being hung, uh, being, being put upon us. And you will see that um, in Revelation, yes, there are some major blessings, and they're different blessings than the rest, a lot of the rest of the books. But um, I think a lot of the books just carry blessing, 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 um, would be my response to that. I think that there's a lot of blessings that's handed in, in multiple books. Uh, do we believe in the eternal sonship of Christ? Um, what is the eternal sonship of Christ? God is the Father and Jesus is the Son. Is that the way that it's always been? Yes, here on earth. But is that the way it's always been in eternity? <laughs> I mean, is that the way it was that was in eternity? Or is the way it not was in eternity? Is that the way it's going to be, you know, after? The eternal sonship is talking about the whole prospect um, of, of sonship. And, and we could do look at passages as uh, Jesus Christ 
is the same yesterday, today, um, and forever. Um, I mean, so you really think that it's always been that way, and it's that way now, and then it will always be that way. Um, so what would the answer be? I think there's scripture that, that says that, um, that the sonship is there, but it might not mean, this is just my answer, it could be wrong, it might not mean the way we think it means. And what I mean by that is the definition of son is a boy or a man in a relationship to either both of his parents, to either or both of his parents. That's what a, a son, that's what a son is. So in the world we can describe exactly what a son is. And when you get, you know, the son of God, you do have Mary, and then you also have God. So, I mean, you have both of those pieces, but I would say that that was, um, in that process of the, the virgin birth that has taken place, that's the most radical thing that ever happened because God became a man, and he's called the only begotten son. So in this, I can completely say, in this world, I completely understand that concept of sonship, the father, son, because Jesus is now you know, a man, the only begotten son, but is that the exact relationship that they had before? It has to be a little different because all of a sudden Jesus, God is man, you know, in those pieces. So it can get really confusing, and I guess the answer would come up with is, I don't really know, and the reason why I'm saying I don't really completely know is because is it the same definition of son that we have on this planet that it was for eternity, 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 or even going to be after, after, after. And I will say that after, 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 um, Jesus is going to be in, in a, um, I believe, in a, human, in a human body. So I believe that that is going to take place. So I believe in the eternal sonship of, of man. Um, I just say, yes, what does it look like? Can't describe it because, you know, the, the relationship pieces of it, because in my mind I know what the definition of son is, and it doesn't, it wouldn't fit a definition of the Trinity. I just... I mean, it, you know, there is a hierarchy, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to, it, you know, I just, I just say, you're asked thick questions. You know, I don't know. We'll see, it. We'll see where it's at. Uh, do we have body, soul, and spirit, or do we just have body, soul? And it's the difference between dichotomy and trichotomy, which we are going to talk at length about when we start talking about um, the doctrine of, of mankind. And there is scripture that separates them, and the most popular scripture is, uh, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, and it's what? Piercing the divisions of the soul and spirit. So is there two different things? Soul and spirit. Yes, there's, we're two different pieces. We're soul and we're spirit. But then the verse continues and says joints and marrow, too. We're actually four things. And it's talking about discerning the thoughts and the intentions. So if you look at how many pieces are we, is what trichotomy and dichotomy. And this tri is two pieces, or tri is three pieces, and di is two. So are we two pieces, which would be soul and spirit, or are we three pieces, which would be soul, spirit, and body? No, are we two pieces, which would be soul, body, or are we three pieces, which would be soul, spirit, and body? So that's the, 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 the pieces of it. Um, they have good arguments. Um, uh, I would say trichotomy has, has some great arguments because it consistently talks about soul, spirit, and body. And their explanation in, in the trichotomy world would be, um, you know, the body would be a physical part of the world and, 
and the, um, the soul would be the essence of your being, and then the spirit would be your connections with God, and it connects with a verse that says that we were dead before we knew God. So you have three parts, and in that process of that three parts, that spirit is a part that God makes alive, or it's, it's, it's dead. And then the dichotomy is, is more simple, that we're just you know, flesh, and we're just body and soul. So where do I lean? Um, I don't think it's a, a huge argument on, on where you lean, um, as you're digging deeper and deeper and deeper, but I'd lean more to the trichotomy rather than the dichotomy, um, although the dichotomy is easier, um, but I'd lean more towards the trichotomy. And, uh, but I also, personally, I wouldn't say, we're gonna, te- tr- uh, we're gonna preach trichotomy and uh, proclaim the trichotomy and then split it and build all the hardware together. Um, because I don't think we need to put all the hardware together in regards to that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Whew, we are. Two, three pieces, you know, whatever. I still think we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So lean towards a try. Um, if it's die economy, yeah, great. You know, that's, that's fine too. But that's just my, that's just my, um, my, thoughts, my thoughts on it. Now, I will say that the, the charismatic movement will definitely go towards a tri-economy of the spirit being connected um, with God and then being alive um, in God. And, and you know, and I don't think they abuse it uh, too much, um, that doctrine, but they will be preaching it more. <laughs> so, and, uh, but as a Baptist, you know, I won't be preaching, you know, tri-economy um, because, you know, it might be dichotomy. I don't know. I did the roles of God. Um, God headship change in the future from heaven or at creation. Um, it's a very good question. And when you're talking about the Godhead, which is you know, the Trinity, there is roles um, that take place. But before I answer that question, I'd like to say, what is their main role? So in other words, what is, is there one role that each of them has that is like their, um, their main um, role? And I would say that their main role is to point to the other, which is interesting. But if you go to the Father, what, what happens? You say, don't come to me unless you go to the Son. <laughs> what did he just do to you? You just went to the Father and he said, no, you go to the Son. Well, if you go to the Holy Spirit, what's he going to do? Or if you go to the Son, what's he going to do? He's going to send you to the Father. I said, well, wait a second, you need to go to the Father. You know, I can't do anything on my own. It's all the Father. So he's giving glory to the Father. And then you go to the Holy Spirit, and what's the Holy, what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's giving glory to Jesus. And he's giving glory to the Father. So it's like, okay, I'm going to take one piece of the Trinity. I say, I'm going, to take, um, I'm going to take Jesus. And Jesus is absolutely all. And you walk into Jesus, Jesus says, points two different directions, the Father and the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus says the words in John 14, it is better that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. It's like, what? You're Jesus. What do you mean? You're Jesus, and you're saying something is going to be better, you know, that is, than you? And he's like, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's pointing, he's pointing to the Holy Spirit. So the number one role of the Trinity, and we'll talk about this as the Trinity, is to bring exaltation to the other piece. And um, so we can say, well, there's a hierarchy, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's God the Father, there's Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit, and there is this hierarchy um, that takes place um, that question was asked me during my ordination process. And um, as that question was asked me during my ordination process, um, 
I think they thought I, um, they didn't necessarily agree with me completely, but uh, we, survived the, we survived the comment. I'm just like, yeah, God as Father is just absolutely extreme. But why does he keep pointing to Jesus? I mean, he's all authority. He's absolutely everything. But he won't stop pointing to a spirit. I said, that just drives me crazy. You say there's a hierarchy. I'm supposed to get to this, this hierarchy. And every time I show up at one, they send me in a different direction. And my answer is that there's such a tight unit that the function and beauty of the Trinity is the glory of pointing even to each other in the process of the salvation to the world. Okay, so now we're going to look at the the question, did the roles of God's headship change in the future? These are tough questions. Ryan, boy, what are you thinking in the future, of, um, in the future, heaven or at creation? Well, our finite mind only knows what's taking place here. That's it. Um, we, we only know what's taking place here. And we know that God is, is never changes. He's never going to change. So we can hang on to what's taking place here. We know that he's going to take place here. But he's got this mix of human beings um, in the middle of it. And in this mix of human beings in the middle of it, this trinity is focused very heavily on this word salvation to his people. And so when you watch the dynamics of the salvation, I can see the functionality of all of them, and I can see the roles of all of them in regards to salvation. Well, they weren't dealing with the topic of salvation before the world were created. That wasn't the topic that they were, that they were living under. What was the topic they were living under? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, they have always been. I don't understand the topic that they're living under because that just blows my mind to even think about it. But since I'm finite and I'm here on this planet, I can understand the topic that they're living under, and I see these roles being played out on this, in this world in regards to the topic of salvation, and I'm like, look at this role, awesome role, awesome role. You guys have different roles in this process. Your main role is to point to each other, but you have different roles in this process, and we're going to go through the roles in this process, but that's all we can understand, is their response to this world, rather than what is before, because we just, we just don't know, um, or what is going to take place you know, afterwards. What, what takes place afterwards is we're going to celebrate salvation, <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. We're not going to, you know, be living under this concept of, you know, we need a Savior. That's going to be done. We're going to be eternity, and we're just going to celebrate salvation. And we'll celebrate, I believe, the roles that took place, because I believe we'll celebrate um, what happened in this world. And the reason what I mean by celebrate what happened in this world is that Jesus will have his scars for eternity. And we will look at him and say, this is how much you loved us. You died. And, I mean, it's, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal for eternity, but this world will be a focus that we'll definitely, definitely be looking, I would say, back on, but there's no time, so I don't know how to say that. So we'll look at, maybe, um, in, in, in those things. So that would be my answer on that. Um, does the roles of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit change when we are in heaven? Is that the one I just read? That's the one I just read. Biblically, how far from a doctrine of God can you be until you are not saved by the grace of God? That's a um, good, good, good question. And I think that um, when it comes to the question, uh, wherever your access on salvation is, um, is going to steer you the direction one way um, or the other. Um, so what, however you define you know, salvation, you know, um, and, and look at it, observe it, and look at its whole picture, will tell you one way or the other. And the way that I define you know, salvation is... I've been moved into a relationship with God. 
my sins have been washed away, and I can have fellowship with God. And all of a sudden, I have what? This thing called a relationship. And why do I have a relationship with God? The reason why I have a relationship with God is because of the word, the word repent. And what does the word, uh, what does the word repent, uh, repent mean? Um, you know, some people say, well, repent is turning away from your sins. I sin. I haven't turned away from all my sins. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm standing up here as a, as a sinner. You know, I, I know Jesus, but I still sin, and I'm still a sinner. And therefore, have I not repented? And we start to think, since I've not repented, maybe I don't know Jesus. You know, and since I've not, you know, turned away from my sins, maybe I, do, I don't know Jesus as we're functioning um, off of this word that is to turn specifically away from, your, away from your sins. And then what we do is we struggle with that. Am I saved or am I not saved? And then we start pointing fingers. Are they saved or are they not saved? Because repent is turning from their sins. They still have their sins and they're not repented. And we start questioning, are we saved or are we, are we not saved? Um, so I would say that repent is not turning away from your sins. This is the picture um, of repentance. Um, it's all based on a relationship. I'll go back to marriage since I've been studying on it. Husband and wife. Rich relationship. All of a sudden, one commits adultery. And when one commits adultery, what does that person do? The person back, comes back and repents. And what does the repent say? It says, I'm sorry. Why would they say I'm sorry? They say I'm sorry because they want to be close to their mate. They say I'm sorry because they want to restore the relationship. They say I'm sorry because they want to be connected to their wife or her husband. So they come back and then they repent. And what happens? Sometimes they get connected again. But what if somebody came back and says, I repent and I'm sorry. But in the back of his mind, I still want to keep my relationship going with the other woman. <laughs> I mean, is that really repentance? I mean, okay, I got to say I'm sorry because I'm going to ruin a relationship with my wife if I don't say I'm sorry. But I want to keep her too. So what I'll do is I'll say I'm sorry so I can have her and then I can have her. Um, you're not repenting. You're actually using both parties. <laughs> you're actually using something to gratify specifically um, yourself. So when you hear these words, um, repent, what are you doing when you repent? You're going into a relationship, and what are you doing when you confess? You're not necessarily restoring a relationship, but you're saying, God, I am stepping away from your relationship, and I'm sorry, I want to come back. I want to come back, I want to come back. And in that process, you are building this relationship in the process of, of, of doing that. So salvation is a relationship with God. Oh, sorry, God, but I'm going to hang on to this. Oh, sorry, God, but I'm going to hang on to this. And what happens is that we're going to go this. There's no, there's no middle ground. We're going to go this direction. We're going to go this direction. And the most best example in regards to um, 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 repentance or, or salvation, I would say, is um, between Peter and Judas. And you look at um, those two people, they messed up bad. I mean, they messed up really, really bad. I mean, G Peter denied Jesus three times. So I don't even know him. I mean, he had a little girl even talking to him, and he started swearing and says, hey, knock it off. I don't even know Jesus. I mean, you're completely throwing Jesus under the bus and throwing his name under the bus. That's what Peter did. Horrific, horrific, horrific sin. And what did Judas do? He did something that's just as horrific. He, he, he sold Jesus. I mean, he, he literally says, well, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with you, God. And he, and he went to the Pharisee and says, what's it going to take for me to deliver him up to you? So, and you know the story, you know the process. Well, each of them, what? 
were hit with conviction. Each of them were hit with conviction. And what did that conviction do? It sent them a direction. It sent them a direction. Where did it send Peter? Right flat on his face. And said, oh God, I'm so sorry. I am so messed up. And then we know Peter's job for the rest of the book of Acts. What was Judas's response when his conviction hit him? He just went out and he killed himself. And why did he go out and kill himself? Is because he had another God. And his other God was, was money. I mean, he was the, the chief collector of all the funds. So he is walking with Jesus with another God, another relationship, that this is absolutely his ultimate. As he's walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, it all hit the fan. And all of a sudden, they had to choose one or the other. And after he chose one, he was cut to the quick, and he says, my God is gone. And then he just killed himself, because he had another God. So when it, look at the pieces of, of relationship. We can't look at anybody and say, they know God, we do not. they do not know God, because you can't do it off of behavior. Behavior is not the pieces of it, and we should not ever do it anyway. You know, who knows God? Who does not know God? They must not know God because they send, you know, things. It's, it's a dynamic of the relationship, um, in, in my opinion, is, is um, in regards to what is, to what is taking place of those who are saved and those, um, and those who are not. So that would be Long answer on, on that. And sorry, I might be mumbling long. I didn't do a lot of research on these answers. <laughs> so, uh, how much knowledge of God do you have to, until, how much knowledge of God do you have to have until you know you're saved? Is there an age of accountability? Oh, boy, questions. <laughs> mm, tough, tough questions. Okay, so children are, are sinful individuals, they have an inheritance. Um, of sin. They have imputed sin. Uh, we are condemned by our sin, and that is where um, a child is at. So this question is deep, and, and um, I'll tell you that even, even way back when, you know, um, uh, in Judaism, what they, they, they talked about, you know, finding the age that, that would be the age of accountability. Uh, that was not Judaism, that was you know, um, Christianity. They'd find a specific age that they would say, okay, once you get to this age, then, then you're accountable. And the age that they picked was the age 13, because they said, okay, this would be able to be accountable to it and, and those things. So 13 was like the key, the, the key figure. Um, my answer to the question is I wouldn't um, be too dogmatic about it. I would be... Um, more simple, more simple about it, and not come down to the a hardcore of this is the age or this is not the age, and 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 what is the age of accountability and what's going to take place. I, the areas that I would just hang on to really tight is a couple areas in Scripture, and and the uh, first area is you know David um, losing his son after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. You know, he pleaded for his son. He fasted. He cried. He bawled. My son is going to die, and God is going to take him. And after his son died, what did he say to God? Is my son okay? And he said, your son's okay. You can hang on to that piece of Scripture. It's like, oh, son's all right. You can also hang on to the book of Job. What did Job say? It would have been better if I died in the womb than to be born into this crazy world. Well, would it be better for Job to die in the womb if he died in the womb and he went to hell? 
I mean, he's saying these words. It's like, mm, it would not be better for him to die in the womb. And he would not be proclaiming and say, this is going to be better if hell is going to be his because he died in the womb. So the way that I look at this is that I look at we have a loving, holy, kind, merciful God. And I don't work with hard lines. I, I personally don't work with hard lines anyway. I just know his character. And uh, with his character... He's going to do it right. I mean, it's hard for me to say, yeah, God's going to do it right. Don't worry about him. <laughs> he does it right. He does it right. Whatever that right is, we might not even know the, the, um, the depths of it. Um, I can say with a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, according to those two passages, babies are all right, you know, because that's what the Scripture, the scripture says. So I can just praise God. Babies are there. He's kind, he's good. Also, babies are sinners, and also babies never heard about Jesus dying on the cross and raising again. But they're good, because the Bible says they're good. So I can hang, definitely hang on to those, those two concepts. Um, but it's also a concept I would not say, here's a line, here's the age, this is what takes place. We, we just don't know. That's God's word. Uh, where the Old Testament saints and the New Testament believers saved in the same way. Um, they were saved um, in the same way. I, just threw, I threw a verse down. It's uh, a verse that, uh, in Luke 24, uh, 44. And uh, this is Jesus talking. He says this. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What? Jesus is talking, and he just claimed that the law of Moses was writing about him, that the prophets were writing about him, and the Psalms was writing about him. And then he moves on to make this statement. Then he opened their minds to the Old Testament scriptures. <laughs> He's talking to these guys on the way to Emmaus. Opened their minds and the road to the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer. This is written in the Old Testament. That Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Um, it's a huge statement. It says the whole Bible is about the cross. The whole Bible is about the death, burial, and resurrection. What the whole Bible is about is the whole Bible is God aggressively intervening in the process of salvation. That's what the Old Testament is about. God is going to aggressively intervene in salvation. And you have this message that Jesus said is everything's pointing to that. And we even talked about it earlier in our service. Everything's pointing to the process of salvation. So they're not going to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, you died on the cross three days later. According to this passage, it says it's there. They're not saying, you died on the cross three days later. I completely understand this process. No, what they're doing is they're going to God and say, God, you are gracious, you are kind, and you are the Savior of the world, and that Savior is going to come. And I have the passage in Isaiah that describes specifically the Savior. And you might say, well, Abraham doesn't have that passage. No, he has a commitment of God to him and I can't really get into this, and he also has a commitment to God in Genesis chapter 15 that God will pay the price as this covenant is being made. And if you read it, you will see that there's a price that's going to be paid 
for this covenant signing agreement that he's going to have, and God is the one that's going to pay the price. So there is people moving towards God knowing that a price has to be paid and salvation will be theirs, and that is why the Old Testament people are saved, according to Luke. The Old Testament people are saved because they've taken God as the Savior of the world. And we saw it again in Psalms. Save me, save me, save me, save me. They know who the Savior is. Well, how do you become a Christian? How do you, how do you get to know God? Save me, save me, save me, save me, save me, save me, save me. That's how you get to know God. I'm in desperate, I mean, the gospel message, I'm in desperate need of salvation. Desperate need of salvation. I need a Savior. And then you have the gospel. God died, God rose, he's my answer. You know, I'm in desperate need of salvation. God, you're my answer. Salvation is theirs. And that's what's taking place, I believe, in the Old Testament um, in regards to um, salvation that is salvation that is happening. Is there a same judgment for, um, and I typed these really fast, and I'm looking at my notes, and they're really, um, I gave Jean the, the copy, and I bet she fixed all my typos, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at my typos up here, and I'm like, whoa, what does that say? Um, is there a same judgment for um, a murderer even after sanctification? You have King David and King Solomon building the temple. Uh, King David supplied everything, but God wouldn't let him build the temple. Um, the reason why David did not get to build the temple is because he shed a lot of blood, and he went to a lot of wars. Um, so is that his judgment for not building um, the temple? Again, the Bible is making a lot of statements that are out there in the world. It's not, you know, the, well, if you do this, you can't build temples. Well, David's the only one that, you know, had the idea in the first place to even build a temple. It's not a clear line, this is the law, you did that, you can't build a temple, period. Now, we could take that and say, well, David did that, he didn't get to build a temple. Well, I do this, then I can't do this. You know, that's getting really, really rigid. And uh, I wouldn't definitely get that rigid. I think that, David, you shed blood. I mean, you went to war. I don't want my house of God to be built by those hands. You just make it a statement. I don't want my house of God to be built by those hands. Your heart is true. Your heart is clean. Your heart is pure. Your heart is right. But I'm going to have Solomon build it um, instead, of, instead of you. So I wouldn't take that story and say that fits for everybody. Um, that if you murder, um, if you kill, um, if you do this, then this is automatically the consequences here on earth. I would not go, I would not go that direction. Uh, works versus fruit. Um, the fruit of Christ, that's a, a great question <laughs> and a great, a great topic. And I'm looking at the time, and I want to leave you guys to ask questions. So I, can't, I won't get into it really hard and fast, but I just, it's a topic that I, a topic that I love. Um, what is fruit? Fruit is something that's gotten inside of you. And if something gets inside of you, what's going to happen? It comes out. Fruit is something getting inside of you. And when something gets inside of you, it just, it just automatically come out, almost out of, out of control. That's salvation. Salvation is Christ in you. And then all of a sudden, what's going to take place? Fruit is going to come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self, uh, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's automatically going to come out. If you look at that, that's not a work. It's almost it's an emotion. It's an emotion that comes out. I am saved, and as a result of saved, and Christ is in me, and what he has done for me, I'll love everybody. <laughs> I mean, just those pieces. You can't work by loving everybody. I'm going I'm to love everybody. You can't make that a work. 
I'm going to love everybody. It has to be a fruit. A fruit is going to come out. It's like, oh, okay, naturally I can love it. I'm going to have compassion on people. You can't make the decision to have compassion on people and then have your heart just follow your commitment to have compassion on people. You can't, but Christ can come inside of you. What comes out of you is, compa- is compassion. So what happens with the fruit and the way that fruit works is that salvation comes to you and then you just overflow. It, it, it comes out of you to others. And, and God's mind comes out. People need salvation. Maybe I should give them the gospel. You know, all these things start coming out as a result um, of fruit. Now, there is a lot of um, um, Christians that say, okay, I'm a Christian now. Now I need to work for this, and 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 I will work for this. There's nothing wrong with that. And what I mean by nothing wrong with that is that I need to work, and I would say I need to read the Bible every single day, whether I feel like it or not, period, I'm going to do it. That is going to be a work. So a lot of times I feel like doing it, and I do it. A lot of times I don't feel like doing it, and I, and I do it. And that is work. But all of a sudden, through the years, fruit just keeps coming out because of specifically that work. And would be challenged that if you're reading the Bible every day, every day, every day, every day, work is not going to come out. Fruit is even going to, is going to um, come out. So yes, when it comes to work, do it <laughs> because it's healthy. Pray. Do it because it's healthy. Be righteous. Do it because it's healthy. But fruit is what's inside of me and why do I do what I do? As we're judged by our motives, not even our what we do. And a lot of times our works, we even do it for even the wrong reason. You know, God, um, I'm going to put $20 in the plate because I want 40 out. You know, give me 40 next week. You know, I'm going to put money in the plate for, you know, because the reason I, I'm going to try to get more, um, I need structure. I, I'm losing my job right now, so a good idea is to put a lot of money in there so I can get my job back. You know, we start negotiating with God. That's all about works. And uh, it's wrong. It's nothing to do about the Spirit. It has nothing to do, has nothing to do with, with fruit. I'd also say that um, uh, a lot of people are going to stand, we're going to stand before God. And uh, when we're going to stand before God, Fruit or no fruit, what's going to take place? Uh, fruit or, um, or no fruit um, is going to happen. I think it will look different than we think it's going to look. Um, so if you look at um, um, what I mean by look different, then I'm thinking of a, a passage. I'm trying to think of the passage. Nah, I can't think of the passage, but it'll come to me probably, probably in a second if I keep talking. I think it'll look different than it's going to look. And the reason why is because God's going to judge the intentions of our heart. And when he judges the intentions of our heart, are we faithful is going to be the question. Are we faithful? That's what we're going to be judged by. Not, did I do this? Yeah, God, I did this. Check it off. Make sure you put that in the line. No, are we faithful in this process? Um, so that's a difference between fruit and works. Um, is faith work? Uh, good question. Uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the things that we have not seen. That's what Hebrews says faith is. It's the assurance of things that we hope for and the things that we do not see. Um, the comment that, that people bring out is faith is not works. But saving faith works. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it works. I mean, saving faith is it, God in me, and it, it works. <laughs> it, just, it just, it does. It's kind of like receiving a lottery check. 
here's a lottery check. Oh my goodness, I have $2 million. Well, does it do anything to me? Does it, does it work on my mind a little bit? I mean, do I think about it? Does it work on my heart a little bit? Um, does it work on my motives? Does it work on my dreams? Um, does, it work on, um, does, it work on, does it work on me? I mean, h- how does a million, $2 million work on me? You might say, well, you must love money. I'm sorry, if somebody drops $2 million, things are going to change a little bit. Even if I give it all away, everything's changed. I mean, $2 million is a lot of money to be handed on you, and I, I would say it would work on me. What happens if salvation is handed on you? What happens if you read the Bible and you see what you've been given and what you shouldn't have, but yet what you have? It's like, oh, <laughs> I mean, it's going to work on you. I mean, it's, it's just, it works on your mind. It works on your heart. It works on your motives. It, it's something that you don't, you swallow, it's, it's powerful. And uh, so I think when a lot of people do question, well, you know, well, I have faith, but I don't, I don't need to work, I just ask them, you know, what is your faith? I mean, what do you believe in? What is, give me an explanation of what you believe in, because if you believe you have a $2 million check and you refuse to cash it, that makes no sense to me. You know, if you believe that you have God, the creator of the universe, and you don't, you don't check in, it hasn't done anything, that just makes no sense to me. So I'd stick to the concept, faith is not works, but saving faith, it does, it does work, it works on you, it um, does something to you. Um, was carrying or pushing the cart supposed to be done by a Levite? This is a question that was asked in regards to a story that I gave, I don't even think it was last week, but the week before, when Uzzah touched the ark and was, was dead. And um, this question is a phenomenal question because, yes, they were carrying the cart wrong. They were not carrying it correctly. The Levites, which are the priests, should be the one that should, be, that should be carrying it. It should have gone through poles. It should never have been sat on top of a cart. So they're carrying the ark completely, completely wrong. And then all of a sudden it starts to fall off and Uzzah takes his hand out and tries to stop it and then all of a sudden he was, he was struck dead. And I gave the story as don't mess around with the holiness of God. So the, the story that I gave is somebody saw the ark come, you reach out your hand, he was struck dead. Why was he struck dead? Because it should have been transported in a different way? Because everything's going wrong in this entire, this entire passage. Because it's transported a different way, or because it, um, um, the Levites were not there doing it, um, or is it because, because he touched it? Um, you know, I would say all of it. The whole thing. The whole thing was a, a mess. But the death came specifically when he touched it, no matter what is taking place. So, you know, you can even have a Levite touch it. Anybody could touch it. No matter what was going to take place, I think that death came, and that death came immediately and came fast as a result of touching the holy, the holy of holies. But there was a lot of mistakes that I did not mention that were um, taking place in that passage. Um, and then this, this one, um, a question was asked, and thank you, Ryan, for asking that question. I think it's a phenomenal answer you gave, and I'm just going to read your answer because it's a good answer. Um, we believe Jesus is the Son of God, and died, then rose on the third day. Why is three days um, important? And I, I thought, well, you know, my answer was like, I don't think there's anything that significant about the three days, but I'm not sure, you know, I don't know, three days. You know, I, I, in my mind, I started trying to parallel the different things that are taking place. And, uh, and, and I would say that um, I was wrong, and you give an awesome answer. And this is the answer that Ryan said. There are several reasons it is significant. Jesus died for three, died, for three days, 
before his resurrection. First, the resurrection, after three days of death, proved to Jesus' opponents that he truly rose from the dead. Why? According to the Jewish tradition, a person's soul-slash-spirit remained in, with him or her dead body for three days. After three days, the soul-slash-spirit departed. If Jesus' resurrection had occurred on the same day or even the next day, it would have been easier for his enemies to argue he had never truly died. Significantly, Jesus waited several days after Lazarus had died before he came to, the resurrection, came to resurrect Lazarus so that no one could deny that it was an absolute miracle that he lived. Um, absolutely correct. Three days, you're waiting for it. Um, I was thinking, well, it wasn't 100 days. You know, three days is makes a complete sense, is it a miracle? He is dead, and the resurrection happened. So, absolutely, thank you, Ryan, for that answer. All right, boy, I didn't leave much time for questions. Somebody did do a long sermon, though, so I didn't have much time for this class. It's because of him, sorry. Uh, is there any questions that are taking, are there questions that are taking place? Yes, absolutely, Lydia. Boy, I should have just... Yeah, thank you for these questions. These are good. Is it on? Okay. All right. So this is a question that does not relate to anything you talked about. So mm -hmm. get excited. I, that's good. That's I like that. <laughs> um, so in a lot of situations, I try to always ask myself, what would Jesus do? And usually that'll give me a good, a good answer and mm -hmm. a good you know, guideline to follow. Um, but there are some situations where, for example, if there's a homeless man stumbling and he can't get up, and I'm in my car and I could stop my car and I could get out and I could help him, and I ask myself, what would Jesus do? Jesus would get out and help that man. Mm -hmm. And then I say to myself, but Jesus wasn't a girl. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question is, is self-preservation as a female an act of stewardship of the life God has given us, or is it an excuse to get out of something uncomfortable? Hmm. Um, and then further, has God's design given me limitations on how I can love and serve his people, or is it culture who's perpetuated that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, I'll start with your, your last one, because I say that culture has intervened. I mean, culture has intervened like crazy. Um, me being a pastor, you know, it's, um, you know, I used to just hug everybody. You know, it's like culture doesn't necessarily accept that, any, accept that anymore. I mean, people are like, whoa, you know, what's, um, what's, what's going on? And, um, and then some, you know, um, genders, you know, actually do get tagged. I'll just be honest with you. And they get tagged, I'll be honest with you, for good reason. And the reason why is because there's a history, you know. And when you, you do see histories and, you know, um, of, of just say male in sexual offenses and, and those things, well, me being male, I just be honest with you, you still get tagged. And cultures, you know, will tag you. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying this is just horrific that it's, it's like they're tag, you're tagged right now. I'm just saying that as a male, I have to be really, really careful because history and even, even the present state being a male, you got to keep your eyes open and be alert and make sure that you are not portraying absolutely anything, um, anything um, whatsoever. 
Um, the female um, hasn't been as tagged with the sexual offenses um, as much. Um, and I'm just talking about culture, you know. In other words, it's like, um, you know, oh, you know, they're just not being tagged. Um, they're not being tagged as much. So I would say culture does play um, a role in our behavior. But I would say that role is, is just to open our eyes, you know, or open our eyes and use, the, and, and use wisdom um, in regards to um, our service, in regards to, you know, taking care of um, people or, um, or, or even, you know, loving people. I just even make the statement um, of even loving people. Um, so in, in my mind, you know, I, I still hug people out in the foyer, but I'd just be honest with you, and I don't mean to be honest with you, is that I don't hug everybody. <laughs> I mean, um, the reason why I just don't hug everybody is that, um, you know, I just, you know, um, um, I'm being very careful. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just put it that way. Is, uh, um, I don't want anybody to think anything. Now you think, well, if he doesn't hug me, he must be thinking of those things or those things. No, I just like, all right, you know, I just got a handful of people that I just, <laughs> just feel connected with, and, and then I'll do the hug. Everybody else is going to get a handshake. I don't think it's too intrusive at all. But uh, my eyes are always open to those pieces and then extremely open to the pieces of our staff in regards to transporting with, you know, mm-hmm. one female, one not female, and those kind of things. Yeah, so. it's good to be above reproach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess further, if Jesus were born a girl, mm-hmm. would he still have gone to the same lengths he did to serve people? Or, mm-hmm. like, what would have happened, hypothetically? Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, <laughs> If Jesus was born um, a girl, you know, I travel, you know, hy- hypothetically. I'm trying to think, of, you know, hypothetically because I, I, tra- I travel back. Um, I travel back to um, the structures of, of man all of a sudden being, you know, out of the dust. And then all of a sudden woman being, you know, um, a born a man. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, man, Jesus comes and he's, he's acting like a man because, because he is a man. Well, all of a sudden if he is a girl... Hypothetically, would things would things change? Um, I'm going to see if I get in trouble here. <laughs> what is the mission of the only the anointed one? I'll just put I'll just put the, the anointed one, and uh, not even use genders. And I just I'd be obsessed with the mission of the anointed one. The anointed one is the perfect one, the ultimate sacrifice. The absolute choice of God made into a human being, and that's the mission. I would anchor into only the mission, the obsessive mission, as this is the anointed, anointed one um, in regards to that topic, in regards to that subject. So I would say no, nothing would change. He'd just do it. I mean, it's just it would just be because he, he's perfect. And he's not going to sin, and, and he's going to do everything right. So if, he's, if he was a girl, <laughs> he would do everything right anyway because he's a perfect sacrifice. Yeah. And so I think that's where, you know, where I'd um, answer that question. Yeah, and then I guess another one is if one of the main points of Jesus' coming was this theme of the rise of the underdog kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, born mm-hmm. in a manger, swaddling claws, mm-hmm. it's a baby, Mm-hmm. You see that all over the Bible is the rise of yeah. the underdog. Wouldn't it have been such a greater statement if he had accomplished all that as a girl? Would it be a greater statement? I would, I would say no instantly. And the reason why is because he came as a man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's <laughs> yeah. all I, that's, you know, that's, that's the only thing that would come out. I'd say no instantly because he knew the best thing. 
And if we observe it and look at it and twist it and, you know, say, I wonder if it would have been different, things would have happened different. Well, if he did it, it's right. And, uh, and he came as a man, so I just say, it's right. You know, yeah. what are all the dynamics, all the nuances to it? So you know, I, I don't know. I just say it's right. <laughs> you know, that's just how I respond to Scripture. The new Adam, so there's that yeah. too. He has to fulfill that. But, mm-hmm. so, yeah. but no, I, I would say, though, though that um, I do carry an offense, you know, the Bible calls me a bride, you know. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty humbling, you know, to the statement that I am the bride of Christ. So yes. the gender thing is, 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 is going in there, and it's almost like he's not dealing with gender too much. I mean, yeah. just, just in a sense that, oh, yeah, you're a bride. Oh, yeah, you're the son. No, you're a daughter. No, you're a son. You know, just a lot of those things that are taking place. And, and then I will say, and, oh, this is going to have to be the last, but um, also um, a lot of our translations are going towards uh, the neutral, the um, um, gender neutral, um, and and I was looking, I'm studying it, trying to find what's the reasons. Why are they doing you know neutral gender? Because we just um, um, we just uh, have a NASB that just came out in 2021, and it's you know it's it's the general you know. Um, well, I can't even think of what the word is now. Correct. <laughs> yeah, politically correct. We'll, we'll we'll put it that way. And um, so a couple of the reasons I guess are argumental, argumentative ones that are you know, um, our culture, you know, doesn't understand. It's man, 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 you know, all the way through. And the women are like, what's going on? And what he's saying when he's saying man, he's saying people. But he's saying man. Man, 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 man. But he means people. And he's putting it under mankind. But our language isn't doing that. And since our language is not doing that, is it really messing a lot of things up to, to say person when that is what the passage is being communicated rather than man, kind, which means person? So, you know, because what it, what it can do is it can put ladies out of the picture, you know, um, if you just take that, um, um, the gender neutral the gender neutral thing. So my answer to that is that um, I'm not going to react hard and say, don't do ne- gender neutral, you know. <laughs> I'm still doing old 1984 version, and so you're still getting man, 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 but I'm thinking, oh my goodness, are we speaking this language? I'm not, I don't want to leave women out, because this man means person, even though the Greek is, um, says um, um, a male, is a male concept to the Greek. All right, I better quit, because we're about <laughs> 17 after. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for the questions.